This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Today promises to be something of a catch-up show, as they as they often are with all of the material that we gather together to uh, to talk about. Sort of piles up. We expect to be joined before this hour is up by our old pal Ed Martin, part-time public affairs host at KDVS and part-time music DJ. Twin hats, I guess you would say, that he shares with uh, KDVS's great. Gil Metavoy, who's crossing continents, uh, brings you wonderful Middle Eastern music, as well as some first-class political commentary on a weekly basis. We don't do a whole lot of music on this program. In fact, we never seem to play a song all the way through. But Mr. Miller and I do like to have some fun with our bumper music selections, and hopefully we'll continue that tradition today. But let us begin today's program, as we like to always do, with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 31st. Of January. It was on October 31st in 1606 in London, where Guy Fawkes, the chief conspirator in the gunpowder plot, which was a Catholic plan to blow up the British Parliament building and annihilate the entire Protestant government, jumps to his death just moments before his execution for treason. I didn't know that, did you? On this date in 1915, on the Russian front, Germany used poison gas for the first time in warfare. This was the brainchild of Fritz Haber, the man who also gave the world the process of taking nitrogen out of the atmosphere and turning it into fertilizer. Haber imagined that poison gas was a weapon so terrible that it would bring the war to an end sooner. I've noticed over the years that weapons that are so terrible that they're bound to bring peace never seem to pan out, with the one possible exception so far of the hydrogen bomb. On January 31st of 1943, German troops surrendered at Stalingrad in the first major defeat of Germany's armies during World War II. This indeed marked the turning point in the war, something I believe we remarked upon on last week's program. And speaking of the hydrogen bomb, it was on January 31st of 1950 that U.S. President Harry S. Truman ordered the development of that weapon based upon nuclear fusion. It was far more powerful than fission or atomic bombs. You know, we could do a whole show on uh, the hydrogen bomb and uh, how Edward Teller basically was the father of that remarkable weapon and how because he didn't trust people down there in Los Alamos, we got the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory via UC Berkeley, which is still promising to bring us fusion and other benefits. And I must say, in that endeavor, I do wish them the best and kind of wish they'd hurry up. And on January 31st in 1971, Apollo 14, piloted by Alan Shepard, Edgar Mitchell, and Stuart Rusa, was launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida. In 1961, Shepard had been the first American into space on a suborbital flight. He then became the fifth man to walk on the moon, and celebrated by hitting golf balls on the lunar surface. Although we should note that he did report falsely that the ball went for miles. The true story is apparently he hooked it. And perhaps most importantly, it was on this date in 1865 that the U.S. House of Representatives passed the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which abolished slavery in the United States. 
It reads, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any places subject to their jurisdiction. With the passage of the amendment, the institution that had indelibly shaped American history and started the Civil War was finally eradicated. All right, our quote of the day comes from Nguyen Co Thach, described as Vietnamese foreign minister, who said some years back, We are not without accomplishment. We have managed to distribute poverty equally. Now, there's a ringing slogan. Unfortunately, in Vietnam, for a long time, that was all too true. Our quip of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon, who said yesterday, Today is the 200th anniversary of the classic Jane Austen novel, Pride and Prejudice. Fans celebrated the way they always do, reading about halfway through and then giving up. Our jokes of the day, and we have a couple. Start with one from Conan O'Brien's writers, which is, The Pentagon has allowed women to serve in combat. Yeah, the hope is that we can now finally defeat the Taliban by giving them the silent treatment. And I think I'd better quickly move on to Jay Leno's writers, who also said last week, Yesterday, House Speaker John Boehner said that President Obama's focus is to annihilate the Republican Party. The Republicans look like they need help from President Obama? And far and away my favorite, which actually goaded me to purchase a book called Oh, What an Awful Thing to Say. The quote is about Spiro Agnew. And to those of you who are not old enough to remember Agnew, this may not seem quite as funny. But said comedian Dick Gregory, Agnew reminds me of the kind of guy who would make a crank call to the Russians on the hotline. You know, if you don't remember Agnew, I feel sorry for you because that's a pretty funny line. And oh, let's do one more for those of you who remember David Letterman, and I'm sure all of you do because he was on TV this week. Said Dave about a month ago, 13 years ago today, doctors had me split open like a lobster and they performed the highly dangerous bypass surgery. Today, I said, doctor, I'm calling to thank you very much. 13 years ago today, you saved my life. And he said, well, Dave, it, it seemed like a good idea at the time. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, according to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for the trial lawyers of America with the news that apparently Subway's foot-long, quote-unquote, subs are in fact only 11 to 11.5 inches long. Don't you just know that's going to result in a class action lawsuit? I'm not sure Subway's helping their cause by, by saying that the name footlong, quote, was not intended to be a measurement of length, unquote. No, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that feet is a measurement of length. Just like, say, a gallon is a measurement of volume. And uh, pounds per square inch is a measurement of pressure, etc., Anyway, it was a bad week, surely a bad week last week for the traditional Japanese respect of their elders when Japan's finance minister, Taro Aso, said that the country's elderly should, quote, hurry up and die, unquote, to help cut the country's soaring health care costs. Apparently, the 72-year-old Aso added that he would refuse end-of-life care and plan to, quote, die quickly, unquote. He wasn't clear, though, on when he planned to do that. And finally, it was surely an ugly week last week for international relations 
with the word that Britain's Prince Harry managed to offend, well, just about everyone by comparing killing Taliban insurgents to playing video games. Yes, Prince Harry's apparently just completed a four-month tour of duty piloting Apache attack helicopters in Afghanistan, and he told reporters that he had indeed killed some of the enemy, adding, quote, saying, it's a joy for me because I'm one of those people who like playing PlayStation and Xbox. So with my thumbs, I would like to think that I am quite useful. While the British press groaned, and I think pretty much everyone groaned, the Afghan government said that Harry had handed the Taliban a propaganda victory. Now, for their part, the Taliban said the prince's comments showed that, like other Western soldiers, he had mental problems. Mr. McMillan now believes that Prince Harry now has the pole position in the Jackass of the Year Award for 2013, but we do have 11 months ahead of us. So, a lot could happen. And now a couple items from the Week magazine's Only in America file. Item 1. Faced with playing four games in five days in November, the coach of the NBA's San Antonio Spurs decided to have his best players sit out one game against the Miami Heat. Lawyer Larry McGinnis, who attended that game, is now suing the Spurs for damages, saying, quote, It was like going to Morton's Steakhouse and paying $63 for Porterhouse, and they bring out cube steak, unquote. Which does prompt the question, What's it worth in damages to be fed cube steak instead of porterhouse? I don't know, but I'm sure Mr. McGinnis has his own idea of what uh, what it's going to be worth to him to have seen the Benchwarmers live in action. We'll have to follow that insane story. And item two. A New Jersey dog training school is offering classes in dog yoga, which is being called dogya. Reportedly, as sitar music plays, dogs sit quietly while their owners do yoga over them and beside them, and then the owners stretch their pet's limbs into relaxing poses. Instructor Karen Shetsy says that most dogs like the classes because, quote, they feel the calming energy, unquote. (laughs) No word on the reaction from the dogs who don't like the classes. But frankly... I'd have to side with Fido on this one if he objected to having his limbs stretched into relaxing poses. All right, I see. Oh, actually, I I seem to have misplaced my stat of the day. But uh, let's do it. Here it is. According to the Wall Street Journal, there are too many law students. Well, we knew that. But noted the publication, the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that the economy will create 21,880 new jobs for lawyers annually until 2020. However, law schools now produce more than 44,000 graduates each year. We're not sure what to make of that, but last lawyer I saw had a tape measure and was walking into a subway, so we'll have to see. All right, on last week's program, we talked about the python hunt going down in the Everglades and suggested that perhaps Dave Barry might have a word to say about that, and by God, he does. And folks, I think this is worth a few extensive quotes from. Posted Dave Barry in the Miami Herald, January 12th of this year. Would you like to make some extra money and at the same time run the risk of being eaten by a carnivorous reptile the size of a war canoe? If your answer is yes, I have an exciting opportunity for you. It's called the Python Challenge, and I am not making it up. It's a real event dreamed up by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, which apparently was concerned that Florida does not seem insane enough to people in normal states. 
The Python Challenge is a month-long contest. Its purpose, according to the official website, pythonchallenge.org, is to raise public awareness about Burmese pythons. Question, what do they mean by raise public awareness? Answer, they mean kill. He goes on, the contest is open to anyone who registers, pays a $25 fee, and takes an online training course. So far, about 400 people have signed up. They have from January 12th through February 10th to go out in the Everglades and raise public awareness on as many pythons as they can. There's a $1,500 prize for whoever kills the most pythons, a $1,000 prize for whoever kills the longest python, and a $500 prize for whoever kills the python with the best personality. Be advised, however, you cannot kill these pythons any old way you want. No, sir. This is an official state-sponsored event. And if there's one word that comes to mind whenever you hear the name Florida, that word is ethics. The Python Challenge guidelines clearly state that you have, this is an actual quote, an ethical obligation to ensure a Burmese python is killed in a humane manner. Notes Dave Barry, that means you cannot kill your python using cruel and inhumane methods, such as forcing it to watch Here Comes Honey Boo Boo or placing it at the entrance to a Boca Raton restaurant just as the early bird special begins, where it would be trampled to death in seconds. Now, you are permitted to whack off the python's head with a machete, provided you do it in an ethical manner. To quote the commission, make sure your technique results in immediate loss of consciousness and destruction of the Burmese python's brain. And if you think I'm making any of this up, I urge you to go read the Python Challenge Guidelines. He goes on, at this point, you're no doubt wondering... If I capture a python, is it safe to eat the meat? I will answer that with another question. Where do you think Slim Jims come from? No, that is a joke, and as such, it is protected from lawsuits by the Constitution. The actual answer, according to the Python Challenge website, is that, quote, neither the Florida Department of Health nor the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services have stated that python meat is safe to consume. Said Dave, I interpret that to mean yes. And here's some good news. You can keep your python skins. The website lists the names of some companies that might want them, including a company called Dragon Backbone, which will trade a knife for four python skins at least four feet long. I'm not making this up. The website also says a company called All American Gator Products can, quote, tan a Burmese python skin and fashion it into something you want. Notes Dave, the website does not come right out and use the word thong, but we can read between the lines. In conclusion, I think the Python challenge is one of those ideas that cannot possibly go wrong. So to all you Python hunters, I say good luck. We Floridians all look forward to the big moment when the dead Pythons are counted and the winner declared. It's bound to be exciting. You know how good this state is at counting things. Dave Barry, a national treasure. All right, we just had a presidential inauguration. Let's hear what America's foremost political comic has to say about it. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few words on the second inauguration of Barack H. Obama. An auspicious ceremony looked upon through two totally different lenses, depending on what side of the aisle you sit. Democrats considered it a much more impressive feat than the first time around, proving that America really is the land of opportunity, where hope never dies, and lots of little money doesn't hurt either, not to mention giving old people rides to the polls and buses. For Republicans, it's more of a testament to exactly how bad a candidate Mitt Romney actually was. 
I mean, come on, the guy managed to lose to a black incumbent in a lousy economy whose middle name was Hussein. The incumbent, not the economy. But nobody could deny the emotional depth or warmth precipitated by the oath-taking on the Capitol's west side in front of the freezing multitudes. So much so that Speaker of the House John Boehner seemed moved to tears, which admittedly isn't that unusual, and kind of creepily they were, they, they were orange tears. The, the guy sheds tears of tang. The president seemed relieved to not have to anchor his agenda to a future re-election and waxed eloquent and unapologetic about his pursuit of progressive ideals, mentioning marriage equality, climate change, and even slamming Paul Ryan's claim that society is being ruined by the takers. So as you can imagine, right after the president was sworn in, he was sworn at. Called a socialist, a banana head, a foreign-born evildoer who's trying to destroy the country. So everything's back to normal, pretty much. But Obama 2.0 did give we the people the general impression that this time around, he'll be a lot less likely to roll over on his back begging Mitch McConnell to rub his belly. This dog may have grown some teeth. For his sake, let's hope they're canines. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. I must say, we did really enjoy the first draft of that commentary, especially this following paragraph that got cut out in the final version. Said Mr. Durst originally, Astronomers have a name for the phenomenon of an object appearing to be in different places depending upon the perspective from which it's viewed. It's known as the parallax view and could be seen on display at the second inauguration of the 44th President of the United States. Doggone it, the one time Durst uses the the term parallax and he cuts it out. We do thank him for reminding all of us that parallax does indeed refer to the difference in position of an object when seen from different perspectives. It's one of those numerous terms common to ophthalmology and astronomy, which for some reason reminds me of that uh, Gary Larson cartoon, speaking of snakes, as we were a minute ago, about (laughs) the times where the world of boating and herpetology coincide. One panel, guys are sitting on a wharf going, what is that, Bob, about a 21-footer? Compared to a couple guys at the zoo admiring a gigantic snake going, what is that, Bob, about a 21-footer? On that note, let's take a short break. Actually, there's one statistic I think I need to insert in this program, which we'll hopefully revive in our second segment when we speak to Ed Martin, who is, by profession, an attorney, which is that in 2001, 663,032 people Yes, 663,032 were arrested in the United States for marijuana possession, which is, if you do the math, 128,328 more than were arrested for all violent crimes combined. That's according to the Huffington Post. Does arresting more marijuana possessors than violent criminals seem like a smart idea? Well, we don't think so. Anyway, let's take a break. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We got plenty more. Stick around. One through a party in the county jail. The prison band was there, they began to wail. The band was jumping and the joint began to swing. You should have heard this knocked out jailbird sing that rock. Everybody let it rock. Everybody in the whole cell block was dancing to the jailhouse rock. Spider Murphy played the tennis sack. Little Joe was blowing on the slide trombone 
Imagine what the purple 